Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with the founder of Bunter Haiti, whose mission statement declares, no one can thrive on an empty stomach. In 2017, her team grew 3,000 pounds of food, 1,562 of which was donated to a local orphanage. How freaking awesome is that? Jen Ride hails from Nova Scotia, Canada, and first traveled to Haiti in 2010 post-college to care for children at an orphanage she'd visited for two years prior. Starting a rooftop garden at the orphanage, she grew over 100 plants and trees and exposed the children to growing their own food. With donated money, she purchased land to start Bonter and continues to increase infrastructure on the property each year, from digging wells to water towers to irrigation systems, even running classes for students of different ages and allowing staff to upskill on biodiversity. She is expanding the lifeblood in the community where she has been living over the past nine years. Jen and I have been friends since university days back in Vancouver in 99, and being able to share her ongoing journey with you all is such a treat, like seriously. So Jen, I'm going to admit this, when I hear stories of people like you who devote their lives to the service of others, like I get awestruck, and I know you, you know, that, that will just freak you out, but knowing you personally <laughs> helps make it a little bit more tangible for me. So I'm so curious, do you feel like you're doing good work in the world or do you not even think like that? I hope I'm doing good work in the world. I, I hope that that's what is happening. I mean, that I don't feel any different than teachers, than anybody that's working with kids and, and trying to give them opportunities and mentoring and that kind of stuff. So it's not, hmm. it's so, I feel like a lot of the times when you hear the word missionary or humanitarian, it just gets blown up and idolized and that kind of thing. But it, it's, 
it's literally, I don't feel like any different than everybody in their everyday walks of life, whatever their skill set is, whatever their gifts are that they're bringing to the world. Mm. Okay. Because that's, that's what this conversation is about today. And so I just need to tell everybody that it took us over 30 minutes to get <laughs> ourselves online from Switzerland to Haiti, Jen sitting under a tree, speaking to you all on the farm. I, are you at the farm, actually? Or you're close you by? You bet. Yeah, yeah. I'm underneath the mango trees. Underneath. So, well, that sounds a bit... We are romanticizing, but she literally is sitting under the tree where we've learned that perhaps, you know what, we are being really creative right now to be able to bring this audio um, and this podcast to everybody into the community. So can you describe the project, the farm at Bunter, and what you're creating in your community? Can you describe it in your words, Jen? Sure. Um, we have got almost three acres that the dream and vision was to create a space that we could teach um, maybe some innovative farming techniques to people, to base mainly uh, children living at a couple of different orphanages, to teach them how to be a little bit more self-sustaining. Um, there's not a lot of um, mechanisms, not not tractors and all that kind of stuff. Everything's done by hand. So mm -hmm. trying to teach different techniques to increase um, production while decreasing the labor, um, giving them opportunities to work, to earn money, and then figuring out how to manage money, um, just learning how to be responsible with jobs. Not all the kids that we work with are going to be uh, working in agriculture, but we're, you know, teaching them to be on time, teaching them to finish projects, um, working in, in teams, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then just creating a space where we can produce food to help a local orphanage that's run by Haitians, um, that have supported us in the development of the farm. Um, and, and yeah, just connecting with the kids and creating opportunities for them. Cool. So I know that this has evolved a little bit. So take us through the evolution of what you're now creating. Cause you started off caring for kids at the orphanage and now mm -hmm. you run this whole biodiversity, you know, this property basically. So was this always your bigger plan or did it kind of fall into place? It evolved. Um, I did three visits to an orphanage here in Monument, um, connected through uh, close family friends and had spent a lot of time with the kids, taking care of them and just really connected with them. So when I decided to move down to help, um, I went in as a person that was supposed to be running their sponsorship program and did that but then on the side I started a rooftop garden on one, the building that I was living in mm. and that's really what kind of inspired me because the kids were so into it the kids were loved it they it was they were helping me build it they want they were coming and watering and taking care of things they were just really interested in it and for me that the kids inspired me to want to be able to do something like this and have my own property. And I feel like this is so grassroots, so practical mm. um, that, you know, even if some of the kids end up working at a bank down the road, you know, even with a home that they have, if they've only got four feet by eight feet of land, they know that they can actually put something in the ground and have it grow. 
and there's some challenges, right, in terms of the weather and like, what are some of the challenges actually with growing food in Haiti in your area? Um, it's really different than home in Canada. Obviously, the seasons. Um, we have to worry more about how hot it gets. Mm. Um, how much heat there is, um, how much rain there is, because when it rains here, it's not a nice, misty Hawaiian rain. <laughs> it is a torrential, forceful down, downpour every time. And you end up flooding in the streets and all that kind of stuff. But, um, like, when we have rainy season, quote-unquote rainy season, like is in May and October-ish, um, we can't grow tomatoes because it's just that it kills them. It's too wet that kind of thing so that we have to adjust our schedule for that kind of stuff we have to you know look at what's getting too much water sometimes um and create drainage or when something's getting it's getting too hot figure out how to cover and protect the soil and that kind of stuff to to keep things from burning up so it's it's a little bit different and just so people know this isn't necessarily your background, right? You've educated yourself. So as the kids started to be more interested in what you were doing, you know, like, did you grow up being a green thumb or where's this kind of coming from in terms of your guidance that you're giving? Minimally, we, we had vegetable gardens growing up. My grandparents had vegetable gardens. My mom has a crazy green thumb, like crazy green thumb. She's got a plant that was her grandmother's. It's over a hundred years old right now. So it's okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I come by it a little bit, honestly, but my, like my sister doesn't have a green thumb at all. So it's, <laughs> um, I'm carrying on the tradition at this point. My mom goes to her house and does all of her planting and stuff. But, um, huh. I, yeah, I was in sports. I worked in sports for 15 years in Vancouver. Um, but because the kids sparked an interest in me down here and obviously growing here is so different tropically. Mm-hmm. Um, I started uh, researching as much as I possibly could. And that's how I got connected with the Haitian run orphanage um, that we support with food is um, the pastor there. He actually went to agricultural school in Haiti before he became a pastor. And so he's been a great resource, which is why I've you know partnered with them to give back to them because I've learned a lot from him. And then I also actually went to Echo, which is a 50-acre farm in Florida that specifically is, is it has been built to train people working in third-world countries in agriculture. So oh, it's an wow. amazing place of, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's an amazing place of resource, um, as well as connecting with people from all over the world. We have 25 people in our class, and it was, you know... 25 different countries, different places that people were working in around the world are going to work somewhere, preparing themselves to go, but didn't know where they were going. I mean, we were dealing with Sierra Leone, Paraguay, uh, Uganda, Ghana, um, myself in Haiti. Like, it was just absolutely fantastic. And we're still connected with these people that are all over the world doing different projects and that kind of stuff. So it was, a, it continues to be a great resource for us. So, um, wow. Yeah, so I, and I want to encourage the kids to always be learning and always be studying, no matter what. Like, just because you get out of high school or get out of college, you're not done. Like, life is your journey in life is always to be learning new things. And so, I want to be an example of that because I had a, a cousin that was an example of that for me. So, hmm. 
And it's so cool that you just said that because I feel as you're speaking that this is only the beginning of the story. Um, you know, nine years, here you are nine years in and I just, I just know there's going to be more. So, you know, it, it does have me think back to you as a little girl. So as athletes, you know, you mentioned you've been in sport, you had been in sport most of your life and that's, you know, mine and Nat's origins. And we had, you know, dreams of sport and going to the Olympics and being professional athletes. Did, did you have a dream of, you know, going to another country and, and helping kids? What were your dreams like when you were growing up? I, I was, um, I can still remember that photo from the New York times that Kevin Carter took of the, the child in Africa with the vulture behind it behind the kid I don't know if you remember that there was a film a few years ago made about this um but I can remember that photo and I remember going my grandparents had uh National Geographics and so that was one of the things I remember going to my grandparents and place and, and going through their National Geographics and seeing stuff from around the world and just being so curious about different cultures and I always thought I would end up in Africa um, because that was the desire I had was to go there. Um, Couldn't quite wrap my brain around why there were orphanages. Couldn't quite wrap my brain around what was going on. AIDS epidemic, people were dying, you know, war-torn places, that kind of stuff. And um, it always inspired me, but I never quite got the courage up to go and do. Hmm. Um, Had a lot of people in my past that were put in my path that did go and do and inspired me and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, eventually once I, you know, had friends that were down here on the Island and, um, that I could come visit and feel, you know, confident to, to come and see and that kind of stuff. That was it, you know? So I think if my first major trip had been to Africa, I'd be, be in Africa right now, but it was here. And I got connected with the kids and fell in love with the kids. And yeah, good point, because it was a lot to do, like you said, the people that showed up in your life seemed to be Mm -hmm. kind of giving you one more step, one more brick along the path. And so I, that's what I want to see if we can do a little bit. And and I think sometimes this stuff can be a bit unconscious, but can you sort of piece together, you're working in the West Coast of Canada, you've got lots of interesting jobs there working in colleges, universities, you're working for the Vancouver Canucks hockey team. And then you're thinking, okay, I'm going to move to Haiti and work in an orphanage. So let's say things have clarified a little bit more. Cause I know you visited twice prior, you know, two years prior. Three times in okay. 18 months. I came down. Okay. So you've gone back three times to Haiti back yeah. and forth. So how do you begin to form in your mind the full-blown project of getting there. You know, there's visiting and then there's actually moving. So how does your brain start to wrap itself around that? The second visit was in the end of September 2009. And um, at that point, the international airport wasn't open uh, close to us in country. So we would have to go in and out of the Dominican Republic to um, fly in. And there was a three-hour bus ride to get back to the city to get get the plane. So when I got on the bus, I had to say goodbye and get on the bus to go. I just had the worst feeling in my st- – I'd never felt it before. I was just hmm. – it was the worst. I didn't want to leave. Hmm. I 
I didn't want to go back. Um, working for Connect Sports and Entertainment was like, you know, the pinnacle of years of work in Vancouver as far as, you know, thinking that, okay, I made it. I'm where, you know, with an organization that I want to be with. And, you know, I'd worked at all different levels of sport and that kind of thing. And just I was like, oh, man, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And, and wow. had that feeling. I cried all the way back on the bus to Santiago because I just didn't want to go back. And I love Vancouver. Like, <laughs> I absolutely love Vancouver mm-hmm. and, and loved what I was doing. So it was that started, it started there, you know, once I'd fallen in love with the kids and, and wanted to be there. And so then that was October. And I thought I was going to take a year to get myself organized, do the fundraising that I needed to, to be down here, um, you know, get everything in place. And I did another trip down at Christmas that just solidified, you know, that it was the right decision. And then I was at my desk in Vancouver five days after I got home and the earthquake hit. Oh, right. And so just the worst feeling in the world being there and not here knowing that everybody, what people are kind of knowing what people are going through and being in touch with people and, um, and that kind of thing. And kind of just concentrated my efforts, you know, to get organized, to go, go quicker, as quick as possible. We were hosting the Olympics that year. Um, and then the hockey season ends in June. So then I moved in July, but it was, um, when did you and I start doing? Yeah. Cause that's what, that's what I together? remember. That's part of it. Yeah, like you were through with me through all of that, weren't you? So or before that to that point where I made the decision. Yeah, because what we're Jen and I are trying to to share with you all is that we began working together a little bit more intimately on this whole idea of fundraising because this is something until working with Jen I didn't fully comprehend is if she's going to go and move into an orphanage and help kids, she can't cost anything. That's what she said to me, Sarah. I have to be able to pay my own way. And I have to not cost a thing, let alone be able to donate more. And I was like, you're right. They're already feeding all these mouths and taking care. So for us to come down and be a burden on them yes, and them having to pay for us as well, um, you try to relieve that burden as much as possible because, you know, we're all in it together to try to help raise these kids up. So this is, um, this is what a lot, like, I cl- honestly did not get that until I, I got to work with you is this idea that not only that did you have to not cost anything to get there, she had to be able to do that year upon year, guys. So those of you listening, it's really good to understand the whole frame because this is some people, Jen, are thinking about possibly shifting their lives. And it's like knowing that fundraising, you know, there's some work to be done. So what are some of the ways that you um, were able to fundraise and be able to do this full time? Um, it's actually for me, the hardest part of all of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds crazy because I'm in a different culture, different language, you know, all of that stuff. But um, so I sent out newsletters and had personal friends like you guys be willing to support Um We've done, we've just tried to be as creative as possible. I mean, I've done stuff on my birthday to fundraise. Um, 
we actually are starting to grow things now that I can bring home to fundraise with. We're growing loofahs. We make um, mango jam. We do um, there's something else that I can't think of. <laughs> oh, uh, lemongrass tea, that kind um, of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to get creative that way. We've done a numbers fundraiser where we've got a board with numbers on it and people pick a number and that's the amount of money that they, they donate. Um, you know, it's just a constantly trying to think up new mm. novel ways. We've sold t-shirts with their logo on it. Um, I've gone and spoken at different places. Um, I've got dear friends in North Carolina that do a fundraiser every fall for us that I go to, um, to talk to people and say hi and that kind of thing. So it's, you know, personal connection a lot of the time. Um, people who know me that know that they can trust where their money's going. Um, yeah, because, can, because I hope people can hear that attracting donations to your, to a project or a mission is like ongoing work. And I know that, you know, Jen, it's not just the, the crops that you have to help grow. You have a big job ensuring that your infrastructure continues to grow. And Jen had somebody donate to buy a, some land. Like, I mean, that's no small thing. And it set off, you know, a course of events that's just amazing now with Bonter. So what is the mo what's the biggest challenge for you in the raising of the money? You said it's the hardest, but what about it is so challenging for you? Um the ask <laughs> I hard. knew it I knew it it's I knew it putting it out there it's it's hard to put yourself out there mm -hmm. you know I can talk about the farm I can talk about the kids all day long and then you then to be, have to say at the end of it it's like can you help us kind of thing and it's um mm -hmm. you know it's it doesn't I don't know it doesn't get easier mm -hmm. it just doesn't get easier I don't know why it should and you guys have been really encouraging about it and Mm. One thing that you said that, that if you that has stuck with me is that if you don't ask, mm. you're not you might missing out on giving other op people opportunities to participate, mm. and that kind of ties in with the whole thing we've talked about of you might not be a person that goes and does, you might be a person that sends, right. and whether that's funding or you send you send funds or you send other people like whatever it is that um, it takes a team of different people with different mindsets to make this happen because there's, you need people that aren't necessarily going to go, but are okay to send funds to make it happen. Okay. I'm going to ask you this, this could chat. I wasn't planning on asking this question, but, and I might be able to help you with this answer a little bit, but from your perspective, why should somebody give to a project in Haiti? <laughs> to help make a difference. I think it's like anything, anytime there's, there's some kind of um, opportunity to give somebody else an opportunity mm. to live a better life. Um, I think that's anytime you look at why people give to charities, whether it's in your home country, home city, no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, a lot of the times people do it because it makes them feel good. Mm. And that's okay if the way that you're giving is beneficial and helpful to the other people long term. Mm -hmm. 
if your priority is to feel good about yourself, that can get us in trouble sometimes because the long-term effects of the way you give can be detrimental to those you give to. Okay. Um, and that's, I know that we've talked about that sometimes because I'm not a big advocate of coming down and building things. Right. I don't, I'm, I'm, I want to employ the people on the ground here to yeah. build. Yeah. I want to employ people so that they can feed their families. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it makes me sad sometimes to think about the people, people's mentality in first world countries that I'm not going to give if I don't go and do it myself. Mm. Well, sometimes the way thinking like that is that we take jobs away from people on the ground. Yeah, this is good. This is a really good message, everyone. And one of the things I wanted to share and I'll I'll share it now and then we'll, um, we'll talk about a couple more things because years ago, Jen taught me this powerful lesson. I mean, I don't know if she knows how profound, but she's saying it to all of you is that she said, Sarah, you know, I'm so glad you want to come to Haiti and help us because And she said, you're always welcome to come and spend time at the orphanage and visit the kids. But the most valuable way for you to help us is to raise money doing what you're good at in your country. And she said, this is better than you trying to sweep floors or plant crops. And it was like, no kidding. Like, who was that going to satisfy? Me over there trying to plant a, a plant that I can't even get to grow here in Switzerland, let alone Australia. Um, you know, how am I going to actually be a contribution? So you kind of lifted this, this little guilt that, that stifled me for so long and it was holding me back from contributing Jen. So powerfully what you just said was like, I remember going to Cambodia and it was the same thing. It was like, we want to give jobs to our people. That's actually what's making a difference here. And so, and we wanted, you know, the, the Cambodian young people actually said, we want to do things that merit your money meaning we want yeah. to give you a service that you go I that has value and therefore I'm going to pay for it not that I feel sorry for you um yeah and they really gave us that it helps people yeah. keep their dignity yeah when they're yeah. taking care of themselves when they've got the opportunity to take care of themselves they are going to take it mm. so for us to come down and do for serves serves people's egos yeah. It doesn't serve the people that you're going down to be with, to build relationships with, to get to know, to help them. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're bringing forward something really important is like I see it like you and I are are an engine and we have different roles, you know? We have like mm-hmm. different parts. And you just, you know, since you were a girl, there's been like a calling for your part and even your, your strategic, you know, how you're strategizing and you said, you know, you kind of have a green thumb from your mom and there's kind of like this divine, um, you know, manifestation of you being there in person and, and like operating the project and putting the website together. And so, you know, those of us that want to make a contribution in our own niche, what, what can, yeah, what can well, people do? Just like, as an example, yeah. my cousin James put the website together. Like Ah. he came, yeah, my cousin James from Vancouver came down, spent two months with me. Like, that's what I mean. Like, I'm not a techie. It took us a half an hour to get online together today. Like, I'm not a techie. I grow trees. I grow, you know. And so, you know, it takes a village, it takes a team Mm. to put stuff together. And so 
that's just one, one example. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys supporting me, funding me, helping me stay here. You know, my cousin James helped with the, the website and stuff like that. So it's like there's, there is a, a team and it, you need to have a team. And that's the best way I can describe it just because of the sports background. Yeah. Um, and I value, oh, I value sports and athletes and, you know, to really try to encourage the kids here with things because I know that student athletes, the value in learning those skills of teamwork and time management and all of that kind of stuff is, is so important. Mm. So we try to create that here on the farm, even though we're not doing sports, we try to, you know, create that environment, that team environment. I love it. And I'm even on your website. I love that you have, you know, meet the team. I was like, that's awesome. Um, and I want to share something with everybody listening because I presented the question to Jen. I don't know if I put her on the spot by saying, well, why would someone support this project in Haiti? And just having been involved for so many years, I will tell you something about it that makes it special. Cause you know, there's been other contributions, but what I find very special about what's going on here is that you feel so connected to every step. Like what I have learned through you, Jen, I feel so connected to the journey of these kids, what some of the things they go through. And I feel like in in a weird way, because of the way that you write and you blog and you newsletter, I feel like we're part of it. And, and so I'm sure part of that is ego based because that does feel good. And Part of it is just saying, you know what? There's many different areas that you can give. And we should be giving mm-hmm. all the time. However, if you're trying to choose where to give and you want to feel really involved and really connected to what's going on, then this is a, you know, supporting the work that Jen's doing at the farm is is really exciting. You just feel like you're a part of it. So that's just, um, from my perspective, that's been something that's differentiated Um your project from others. And I just want to thank you for always, yeah, just talking straight. You're, she's a straight talker, people. Like she won't sugarcoat it for you. She may have trouble asking you for, but I can ask. So I really, um, you know, if you've donated 1,562 pounds of food um, most recently, like how exciting would it be to be able to double that? And hopefully um, our community and people listening feel it in their heart. So Jen, um, we will leave the information for your website. Is that the best that they have your website and how to contribute or? Um, I, I'll have to look at it. So I'll have to look at it. Obviously I'm again, not a techie because we're able to actually just send funds through, um, the orphanage. They've got a U.S. office and, uh, it can be done through PayPal there or mm-hmm. in Canada. It's through, um, just e-transfers, that kind of stuff. We're not a registered charity. We're just the farm doing our work down here so okay. um we've got two different ways depending on canadian or uh u.s okay um, funds, so. and when you go what we'll do is we'll um we'll provide ways to connect with you jen and ways to connect on the website because i know that sure. when i look well we've got the facebook page we've got our bunter haiti facebook page is probably okay. the best and quickest way to connect with us because that's what gets updated the, the most we're on there you know, every few days putting photos up and stuff like that. And then I get messages there uh, pretty much daily. Okay. Okay, great. I actually, um, 
hadn't been doing that. So thank you. That's actually great. So now that I know how to be even more connected. Um, That's good. Good. And so I just want to thank you, Jen. I know for you, when you're, what I've noticed is that people that are doing real work often don't understand why anybody really wants to talk about it. So, um, however, I do know you see the importance of sharing the story and, um, yeah, I just, I love that we get this platform to be able to do that. So thank you, Jen, so much for clearly describing the the difference that's going on in your community in Haiti. Awesome. Anytime. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.